With the scripture reading this morning, it is Matthew 10, verses 16 through 25, which is on page 1483 in your pew Bibles, if you want to follow along. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, he will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death and father his child, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly, I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household? Thank you, Aaron. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Mike Beresford. I'm the new kid on the block. And uh, this thing's heavy. No wonder Lloyd stops talking when he pushes it. I work in the area of serve and outreach. And uh, it's been a delight to be in Madison and, and land here. We're from Seattle, and Madison reminds us a lot of Seattle, except for the mountains. But um, the water and the political climate and, and all those different types of things. I want to tell you a real quick story because I'm a, a fan of OCC, of Operation Christmas Child. I worked for Billy Graham. Hestel and I both did for, I was about 11 years. And for part of that time, I was around Operation Christmas Child. And some of the backstories you don't get to hear. One in particular, Franklin told, it was Sub-Saharan Africa, Central, somewhere, Congo, somewhere in there. And Franklin always had a habit of liking to give the last box out. Because like Franklin likes to have the last word. And so he would take that box and, and he found this little boy who had leukemia. He was six years old. He had lost his hair. And he's sitting there expressionless. Franklin takes in the box and opens up. Franklin loves Operation Christmas Child. He loves kids. And he gave him a toy, and the little kid takes the toy and throws it across the room and says, I don't want a toy, I want parents. Okay, so he grabs another toy and hands it to the little boy, and same thing happens, same phrase is repeated. Well, it became a contest with Franklin. Franklin doesn't lose very well. So they got down to the last toy, and it's thrown across the room. I don't want a toy. I want parents. Okay. So, right in the bottom of the box is a picture of a couple. And if you know, if you've done a box before, they encourage you to don't forget to put that $7 in to help fund that box getting where it's going, but also to write a note or to put a picture in to personalize it, let the child know who is sending and the little boy glanced down and saw it and said to Franklin, are those my parents? No. And 
Franklin lost. Picks up the picture in the box, walks out of the room. When he got stateside, he made a phone call because on the back of that picture was the name and the phone number. Several months later, that couple walked back into that hospital to that little boy and adopted him. And Franklin had no idea he had parents in a box. You don't know what little faithfulness can do in God's hands. And there, there are so many great stories like that. Today we're going to talk about the church around the world that, that is persecuted. And I want to tie us into that picture. Because if I ask for a show of hands of who's been persecuted here for your faith, it'd be a pretty slim number that might have the opportunity to raise your hands. And so days like this are difficult for us. As Larry spoke last week, when we pick up 911 or dial 911, we expect an answer. Most of the world, they're surprised if they're an answer. We don't expect to be persecuted, although we're hearing some more about that in our nation. The students in Oregon that were asked, are you a Christian? Yes, it was a shot to the head. No, it was a shot to the knee. So we're beginning to hear some of those things, and I'm a firm believer that we are going to, at some point in time, give account for our faith. But just a couple of, of slides of definition. Christian persecution is any hostility experienced from the world as a result of one's identification as being a Christian. There's a website that's on the bottom of the card in your bulletin. It's opendoorsusa.org. I encourage you to visit that website this week and see some of the stories, listen to some of the videos that are real, some of the things going on. There's a map there that you'll find that shows this is the top 50 countries in the world. There's actually 60 plus where faith, Christian faith is persecuted because there are such restrictions on what faith ought to look like. Over 70% of the population on this globe live under those restrictions. And Jesus comes out 31 times and says there will be persecution. That doesn't sound like this promise of prosperity. That doesn't sound like this loving Jesus. That doesn't sound like what I signed up for. But he said, there will be persecution and when you are delivered over. And we want to talk a little bit about that today and tie it to this global picture. Because there are brothers and sisters in Christ. I want you to listen to a few other verses of what the Bible says about persecution. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. 
and Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Behold, I, Jesus, am sending you out. What was he thinking? He knew the message. The message was him. He knew that it was his life. It was his claim to deity. It was the fact that he usurped a lot of people's authority. People who had created religion to serve them. He was trampling on. He understood that they would take with them his life, his trial, his death. But he knew they would take with them his resurrection. But he said, I'm sending you out. He knew that there would be ridicule. He knew there would be times when there would be a sideways glance. He knew that sideways glance could grow into hatred, persecution, death. And yet he deliberately said, beware. Jesus was aware of all he was asking, and he wasn't just asking of them because this passage goes on and talks about the gospel being permeated out. It was a message to us as well as the Christians in Sudan. It was a message to us as well as the Christians in Nepal. And wherever it might be happening that we read on the news and we let go, he was speaking to them, but he was also speaking to us. Christians who are relatively safe, except maybe a sneer, maybe a comment, who live in the greatest sending nation that the world has ever known, but a church that has grown comfortable, in a church that sometimes listens to the stories with a cocked head and really, yeah, really. So Jesus says to them, he says, I'm gonna send you out as sheep among the wolves. He knew this was going to happen. But he says, I want you to respond in a specific way. I want you to respond and be wise as a serpent. And we don't think of serpents necessarily being wise. But have you ever seen one just laying around lounging in the face of danger? No. They understand how to hide. They understand where to be at the right time. They're protective of themselves. They only expose themselves when necessary. He said, I want you to be harmless as doves. A dove doesn't initiate a fight. The dove is now a symbol of peace. I want you to go as peacemakers. But then he said, beware of men. Why? Because when they deliver you over, see, men are fickle. 
few years ago, my partner was in Sudan. And he was at a church right after some of the Civil War had, had taken just a, a toll. And what had happened in that church was people from different tribes had risen up and had literally killed members of their church family because of tribal lines. A man that he began to know, his arm had been hacked off by his neighbor. Because their faith hadn't gone as deep as tribal lines had been drawn. And it's easy to make a confession of faith to a point. But God meant that confession of faith to drive that core belief and replace tribal lines, to replace other understandings. I was talking to a pastor in Haiti a couple years ago after the earthquake. And he said, I grew up in a Christian home, but we cut the head off a chicken every Saturday night just in case. In case of what? In case God didn't come through. In case he wasn't quite what he said he would be. Matthew 16 says, he says, it's not about the possibility of being persecuted. It's that persecution is going to happen. And so it's frivolous to pray that it not happen. But when it does happen, I want you to respond like this. I don't know about you, but I don't like this set of verses. But it's there. So I have to determine what I'm going to do with it. How am I going to respond to it? And then he says, don't be anxious when they deliver you over. I'll tell you this, living in Madison, if you were walking down the street and somebody walked up to you and said, I understand you're a Christian, they'd have a little ball in the belly. Or, what do you mean? There'd be some anxiety. But what if that little question became an AK-47? What if that AK-47 was a machete? What if that one person became an army? Because that's what our brothers and sisters are facing in many places. It's not just a question. It's an accusation along with a threat that if you don't deny, you will be killed. There's a parallel passage in Mark 13. It says, when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, don't be anxious. Why? Because God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, will be present and he will be with you. We just moved from western Colorado and we lived about at about 6,000 feet on the western slope. And within 10 miles of our house were um, plateaus and hills of 10 to 11,000 square feet high. And one day a friend took me up to one of these and we're standing at a cliff and it's roughly a thousand feet down. 
And I learned something very important about why the eagles soar over those thermals, because they exist. When I was back away from the cliff, I couldn't tell that there was a force out there. I couldn't tell that there were thermals going because I wasn't close to the edge. But as I walked forward and got closer and closer to the edge, within about three feet, I began to feel this rush of wind. And as I got closer, it literally knocked my hat off and threw it back about 15 feet. As Christ followers, I had this thought. When I'm back here in safety, I often wonder, where's the power of God? Well, the truth is, I don't need the power of God back here. I don't need the presence of God back here. But when my life becomes out on the edge, out on the edge where it meets a world that does not believe in Christ, all of a sudden that power of God is necessary and I find that it's present. Have you ever wondered in watching just the news clips showing Christians who are being held, are being persecuted, how calm they are? And they somehow have this resiliency to the moment that the guy next to him has an AK-47. And Jesus said, don't be anxious because I will be with you. And the very words that you need to speak, I will give you. That's difficult for us to understand because we don't live here. We live back here. We don't live in the face. Jesus, when he was speaking this, was speaking also in the prophetic. The prophetic, when spoken in God's word, often had a present tense to it but also had a future implication. Jesus is saying, when you are persecuted, when you are brought to trial, when you are given over, only to illustrate that with his own life within several months. And he found himself at trial. He found himself being flogged. He finds himself being beaten. He finds himself carrying his own cross. But he's not yelling insults. He's not saying you don't understand. He's not saying no, not me. It says he was silent. Because he knew in that moment that God was doing something greater. He knew there was something bigger happening than just his pain. And he knew that God was present and that God was sovereign. And yet, in Philippians 2.6, it says that he set his deity aside and he chose to step into skin. And so he comes to a point hanging on that cross naked, beaten, bleeding, his chest caving in. And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Persecution is painful. 
It's painful emotionally. It's painful physically. It can lead to death. I have a friend who had 24 hours to get out of Central Asia because the Taliban had proclaimed they were going to kill him the next morning. His wife was safe. She got out three weeks later. And I got to walk through a process of him debriefing. The emotional scarring that had happened to him. He began to try to put it in perspective. And then six weeks later, I get a phone call early, early in the morning. And he says, Mike, my replacement was just executed. That should have been, that could have been me. And we got to start the whole process over. In the next nine to 18 months or so, five more of his colleagues were executed. And every time, those memories rushed. And yet, Jesus was silent and he accomplished what God was doing. There's a phrase you've heard in the last few weeks, you'll hear more. Living life with the kingdom of God in mind. Or in other word, living with intentionality. Nick often uses the word being solid or substantial. Why does he use these words? Why is he so diligent about walking us through passage after passage after passage so that we know it, so that we breathe it, so we understand it? Why is our system here at High Point Church set up so that you come on Sunday morning and the word is opened up and then you go to a small group where the word is, is opened up again to application and to what we heard and what we think about it, how we're going to allow it to play out in our lives. Why are those two things so important? Because if we're not living our life daily with the kingdom of God in life, in mind, if we're not living intentionally, if we're not solid in our faith, if we don't have substance, then when we are challenged, we will not respond, we'll hide. We'll cry out, no, not me. We look at Peter with disdain. No, I'm not a follower. He was so weak. Or was he simply human? If a soldier brandishing a spear walked up to you and asked, and you knew the answer to that question was persecution, what would your answer have been? What would your answer be? And we have to take what we see in the church persecuted around the world and somehow bring it home so that we understand that what they're going through is real. It's just on a different scale of what we may potentially have to face. I have a friend who was in a project in Nepal. 
Now, this portion area of Nepal had a church. They tolerated Christians from time to time. Some of the Christians were persecuted. And he was asked to preach on a Sunday morning in a church of about 75 people. He said, okay. He said, the pastor told him, he said, I want you to preach the gospel. He said, okay. We love to preach the gospel. When he got there, there was about 300 villagers there. It took him back a little bit because he recognized that the majority of the people he was talking to were not believers. But they were curious to the message of this foreigner and the results of this project that had been going on, that had helped people in their village. So they showed up. And Jim preached the gospel and he didn't leave anything out. And right when he was ready to go to a message, a call to follow Jesus, it hit him that if I follow through with this, there is a significant chance that somebody is going to get hurt. Now, if I were to preach the gospel to you this morning, I would not ever entertain that thought. The worst that might happen is you would say, I didn't like your message. Just leave and not say anything. And he said, I, I hesitated and I paused. And just in that hesitation, I, I quickly said, God, what do I do? And he said, there was like a boldness that swept over him. And he stepped forward and he gave the call. And when he looked up, there were 50 people standing in front of him. He said, and that scared me to death because I knew somebody was going to get hurt by accepting the call to follow Jesus. And he prayed over them, and they had a wonderful time. And that evening, after the evening meal, there was a knock on the door, and somebody came and said, Pastor, two of the people that accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior this morning have just been killed. We need to pray. And as Jim heard those, he said he went to the back room where he was staying, and he began to weep. And he began to apologize, thinking he had done that. And he said, God spoke, forcefully spoke to him and said, you had nothing to do with it. They understood who Jesus is, that he's the king of kings and lords of lords. And if it meant life, that was okay, because there is nothing that man can accomplish or do that would usurp that relationship with the king of kings. And Jim said he had to apologize to God that he would think anything less than what had happened. Why does persecution happen? Several weeks ago, Nick was talking and he mentioned 2 Corinthians 2.16. And he said the gospel can be the stench of death to those who don't want to hear it. It can drive people to violence. But to others, it's the fragrance of life. We hear it and we understand that this is life-giving. This is freedom. This is peace as God intended me to have. 
But more than that, this is a connection to God himself through Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. There's only one reason that the persecuted church has for stepping up to the plate and being persecuted silently. And that's that they understand who Jesus is. We live in a consumer mentality. If I were to ask you who Jesus is, you'd probably tell me what he does for you. All he did for them was get them killed. Was he still worth following? Was he any less the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Was Hebrews wrong when it says that he sits at the right hand of the Father with the earth as his footstool? That he's magnificent, he's powerful, that he's everything that the psalmist wrote about him and more? What about Hebrews 11, the hall of fame of early church leaders who were martyred, who never got to understand the reason for their death in the future. They didn't know their names were canonized and we carry them around and read their stories. All they knew was this person named Jesus who claimed to be God had done what he said he would do, had risen from the dead, had died on the cross so they wouldn't have to pay for their sins and he was worth following. He hadn't got them a house, he hadn't got them a job, he hadn't got them anything but killed. But he was still Jesus. He was still the Son of God. And they knew it. They knew it to the point where it changed their core beliefs. There's a video about a little girl in Sudan. Her name is Susan. I want us to watch. You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hallowed be thy name. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. There's power in the name of Jesus. Take the third commandment, for example. You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. For years, I simply thought that meant not swearing or cursing using the Lord's name, but I stumbled across a simple but incredible realization. Because a more literal translation of that commandment actually reads, You shall not use the name of Yahweh for worthlessness. You shall not use the name of Yahweh casually, complacently, without respect, without value. It's the moment in time I realize that I actually break this commandment all the time. And more often than not, I break it at church. How much value, how much worth you place on the name of Jesus. As I thought through this, it reminded me of a girl called Susan from Uganda. She's 14 years old and from a strictly Islamic family. 
One day a visiting speaker came to her school. He spoke about this guy called Jesus who claimed he was the son of God and had come to save the world. And right there, Susan decided to give her life to Jesus. When she got home, her father found out and he was furious. In fact, on one occasion in broad daylight, he grabbed Susan and her younger brother and dragged them outside. He held a knife to their throat and said, Susan, if you do not stop going to church and worshipping God, I will kill you and your brother. But Susan didn't stop. Her father grabbed her. He took her to a room in their house and placed a mat on the floor. He told Susan to sit on that mat and do not move until you are willing to deny Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. Her father turned around, walked out of the room and locked the door. Susan's father didn't return to that room for three months. The only way Susan survived was that while her father was out, her brother would dig a hole under the door. He would pour water into it for Susan to lap up. On occasion, he would fry up some banana and slide that under the door to his sister. After about three months, the neighbours began to wonder where Susan was and they asked her brother. He told them and they immediately called the police. When they came, they opened the door and they found Susan. She was sitting on the mat. She was alive, but only just. You see, the bones in her legs had begun to grow and conform to the way she had been sitting. And she weighed 20 kilos. They grabbed her and rushed her to hospital where they began to rehabilitate her. When Susan was asked why she hadn't tried to escape, why she hadn't even left the mat, Without missing a beat, she replied, because my father said, if I was to leave that man, I would be denying Jesus. And I couldn't do that. Worthlessness. It never even seemed to cross her mind, did it? This is exactly what the third commandment is about. A faith driven by a passion for God that realises not only to be in relationship with Him, but to be able to call on His name is among the most sacred privileges we have as Christians. A privilege the world can't conceive and a privilege that we so often take for granted. You shall not use the name of Yahweh for worthlessness. Susan would Pastor Lloyd and the team are going to service communion. If you want to come up and prepare. I want you to take communion today with a thought that these are our brothers and sisters who were bought with the same blood that bought us. They just have had the opportunity to say yes, to stand strong. 
Just before we go to communion, there's three more prayers for countries where Christians are persecuted. And these aren't just stories. They're brothers and sisters. The same blood of Jesus that runs through our vein runs through theirs. Not literally, but figuratively. They're family. So listen to these prayers intently. As if you were there and knew them. Please pray.